The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, welcome to the new episode of the Brooklyn Vegan Show. I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and this episode is an interview with Justice Tripp. Justice is best known for fronting the bands Angel Dust and Trapped Under Ice. He also has a solo project called Cold Mega, and in general, he's just an awesome artist and figure in the hardcore world. The main reason Justice and I caught up is to discuss the new Angel Dust record, Brand New Soul, which comes out September 8th via Popwig. It's an awesome record that I, I really like and can't recommend enough. It kind of is the culmination of everything Angel Dust have done so far, from their harder, more punk-oriented early records to the more like jangle pop and classic rock-influenced later records. And it's just a really good mix of, of everything that this band is good at. And it's just even more proof that Justice's MO is just being true to himself, doing what he feels in the moment. And we talk a lot about that on this episode and how that has really been his approach for even back in the Trapped Under Ice days. We talk about a lot of hardcore stuff, but also everything from the influence of Prince to Justice's favorite Bowie album to uh, Sublime and specifically people who hate Sublime to Justice learning to love Godsmack to hard uh, to gatekeeping in the hardcore world and much more. I, I thought it was a really fun chat and I'm excited for you to hear it. Uh, but before we get there, just want to let you know that listeners of this podcast can get 30% off their first year's subscription to DistroKid. DistroKid is an awesome service for musicians. It allows you to easily upload your music to all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music, and more. It allows you to do automatic revenue splits so collaborators and co-writers can get paid too. It provides you with an artist page that links to your music on all streaming services. It allows you to add lyrics, credits, liner notes, and more. And again, you can get 30% off by signing up at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Brooklyn Vegan. We've also included the link in the description of this episode, and you can click directly from there. And now, here's my chat with Justice Tripp. Hey, Justice, what's up? What's going on? Uh, just relaxing. Got a, little, got a couple of days down before we go on tour for about three and a half months straight. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, welcome to the BV show. Uh, we're excited to have you. Um, it's actually kind of funny because the last guest we had on the show was Norman Brannan um, from like Texas, the reason and stuff. And you came up in that conversation. Um, no yeah. So it's kind of like a, here you are now. Um, but yeah, we were talking about uh, your quote in the bio for the new angel dust album, where you talked about like, losing friends because of the stylistic direction that angels us took compared to trapped under ice um and how people wanted you to be something you weren't and norman was talking about like you know how being your true real self like that's hardcore can you tell me a little more about that i mean i was surprised to read it that that you you know lost friends over it um you know i don't think it was like it wasn't like as simple as like being like hey here's new music and friends being like yo you know, like, fuck you, you know, but, uh, like, I don't know. There's people around who, who I thought were real friends and, you know, they, some of which 
pretty openly weren't a fan of what I was doing, which is fine. Like I don't expect anybody to like what I'm doing. So when the, when somebody does, it's it's cool, you know. I like what I'm doing, and that's it. That's all. That's what I'm shooting for. Um, and then those friendships kind of fizzled out, and it is kind of crazy in perspective. Like to be like, I've seen it a lot. I've been doing this for a long time, you know. And even in context of Trapped Under Ice, there was like moments where like. Um, there was like a controversy with Trapped in the Race years ago when I got in a fight and there was a moment when I think everybody thought it was going to sink Trapped Under Race, the fact that I got in a fight, you know? So it was like a thing on the internet. It was like before like call out culture was so much of a thing. So uh, I've had people joke being like, oh, that was the first time I saw somebody canceled on the internet, you know? But um, ultimately I got into a fight and like there were some people who thought I was down and they thought it was a safe time to kick me while I was down you know and they're like you know fuck you you piece of shit you know and i i heard that you beat up and whatever what happened got like diluted and turned into something completely different you know like i heard you jumped on an innocent child for no reason and beat him into a coma or whatever like just lots of different exaggerated versions of what happened uh but yeah it didn't it didn't sink the band there was people who were there who kind of had a different interpretation of what happened and when the smoke settled, it was like people stood by the band. And then those people who were, you know, jump shit, it was crazy. Like, I, I remember I had a fool hit me up being like, hey, I like, we, we announced Big Kiss Goodnight right after that, the Trapped Under Ice record. And this fool hit me up like, yo, what's up? I really want that shirt you guys are selling. And I'm like, dude, you were on the internet talking about you're going to jump me with people. And now you want to wear my shirt. You know, and it's like there's people like that. There's a lot of really fickle, weak minded followers in the world, you know. And I think that the music scene is, uh, you know, is representative of the world in the fact that we have people like that, too. Um, so, you know, same thing when I started doing Angel Dust, it was controversial. It was like people were like, oh, he's turning his back on hardcore. It's like, no, this is actually, you know, more into what I'm doing with Angel Dust is more in line with what hardcore is traditionally, you know? And I don't think there's anything I've done musically that isn't um, at least closely related to hardcore in spirit, you know? So I'm just going to, you know, do my thing. If somebody is that kind of person, I, you know, you see the signs of that, just keep them out of your life, you know? But I want people who are there because they appreciate me as a person in my life, you know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, it almost surprises me to think that at that time, somebody would have been surprised by you changing things up musically. Because, I mean, you lay it all out in, like, pleased to meet you. You know, like, you're like, I'm not going to be a sheep. Like, I'm into open-minded people. Like, And it's like, people hear that, don't internalize any of what you're saying. And then the next record just sounds different. And it's like... Yeah, people like singing along to the idea, not knowing what it means. Um, it's like, I, I don't know, I always use Bad Brains as like the beacon. It's like my reference for what hardcore is. And there's bands that you could probably, you know, somebody could argue is more definitive of hardcore. I don't I don't know, but for me, it's the Bad Brains. And uh, I don't know, like the, the spirit of it was creation. And I think what makes it hardcore is a mentality and an urgency. Um, I think in all eras of Bad Brains, you hear that. Like in the most recent Bad Brains records, they're still like psychos. You can hear that in the music. They play like they got an issue. You know, they got 
have an urgent issue to deal with. And for me, it's always been kind of just like um, playing around with how to make different sounds through that lens. Yeah. And I mean, I think about this a lot now, too, because like, you know, we're obviously in this moment where like there are a lot of bands in hardcore who are doing things that don't sound just like the heavy metallic stuff. And then people are tossing around the term like hardcore adjacent. And I'm kind of like, like, do we really need that? Like, is Husker do hardcore adjacent? Like, you know, like is Bad Brains doing reggae hardcore adjacent? Like, isn't it just hardcore? Yeah, I don't know. I think I see that on the internet and it almost seems like it's more of a, a joke now and people are just saying it to be funny. Um, but I get the concept. It's not like offensive to me or anything. You know, it's like, I, I really, you know, I've never been like super married to the name of hardcore. Like my lifestyle is hardcore. That word, it's a word. It means like any other word. It means nothing to me. I don't care about a word, you know? So like I've seen people use that word um, kind of to fulfill their own motives is, is typically a thing. It's like I've seen promoters who it's like, oh, you want to get paid? This is hardcore. You're not supposed to get paid. You're not hardcore. You want to get, you know what I mean? You know, it's like, no, it's, that's not what hardcore means. It's not like a an excuse to not pay people. Uh, and I've seen people use it to as a defense for poor actions. Like I'm hardcore. That's how I live. It's like, that's not what the word means either. It's like people are going to, you know, manipulate the word to mean what it means to, to, to fit what it means in their life and to justify who they are as a person. It's like, I don't know. I, I love hardcore, the genre of music. I love the philosophy behind it. You know, doesn't, um, doesn't justify who I am. It's just kind of what I've built my life around is the idea of how I see hardcore music. Um, or if you want to call it hardcore adjacent or we, you know, people have called it punk. I've heard, seen people call it pop punk, which is the, the strangest one to me where I'm like, I don't know. Pop punk is a little more absolute sonically, but I don't give a shit, man. People are checking it out and giving it a chance. So kind of on a similar note, something I wanted to talk about is like, so I love the lyrics on Love Slam. Um, and I think it's something that you've done before where like, not only is the sentiment genuine, like kind of what we were just talking about, like you're, you're being yourself. You're like, you know, I free my mind. I let go of the past. I jump into the crowd. But it's also like you're literally kind of singing very straightforwardly about what you might be doing on stage in that moment. <laughs> um, it's like it's like a little meta, but in this like really conversational way. It's very literal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's like, I think people get hung up on this idea of what songs are about, you know? And I think when I first started making music, when I first started singing in a band, at least and writing lyrics with Trapped Under Ice, I was a very emotional person. And I didn't think there was a lot of bands at that time. I think American Nightmare would be a band that somebody could say, like sang about their feelings and stuff. Uh, but and, and I definitely loved American Nightmare. But prior to that was Crown of Thorns. Um, it was a very emotional band, lyric, very lyrically, uh, emotionally intelligent band. Um, don't think there was a whole lot of that going on around that time. So, you know, for me, it was like, oh, this is what I want to sing about. You know, like this is where I'm at. I'm an emotional person. I was uh, just a big crybaby at that point in my life. And I, I probably still am, but uh, there's like things 
that if in perspective outweighed um, overwhelming emotions. I still feel overwhelming emotions, but at my age now, it's like, who am I? I'm a guy that loves to to jump off the stage. You know, it's like, what have I been doing my whole life? Um, and, you know, like the idea of slamming or moshing, it can, that song can mean something different. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, like it's funny, like when you say the term slam, a lot of people, there's people who are like, oh, that's like a death metal term or something. Cause you know, there's the death metal association of slam music, but it's like a term that's been thrown around a lot for a long time. It could mean fucking push mosh and it could mean jumping off the stage. It could mean the way you live your life aggressively, you know? But for me, it's, it's just that, it's just that literal. It's like people don't always understand when I let loose and want to jump up. I'm, dude, I'm 37 years old. And like people actually, it's like a conversation adults have with you is like, why are you doing that? It's like, well, that's because that's who I am. And if I, you're going to jump off the stage and break your neck. Well, that just might happen one day. But I mean, there's people who love smoking cigarettes and do that every day. And that might kill them or it might not. I, I'm, I don't give a fuck. Smoke cigarettes if you want. I'm going to jump off the stage and hopefully I don't hurt anybody. That's the, that's the only risk I'm concerned about is hurting somebody. But I mean, at the end of the day, we all know why we're there. Most of us do. There's always some people who don't, and they're a little confused when you jump on them. But yeah, it's, it's, it's meta and, and it's literal. But Tell me a little bit, though, about like writing in that sort of, I guess, kind of voice. Because it's, I just, I find it super interesting. Like, like you said, like early, your earlier Trapped in the Right stuff, it's very emotional. Mm-hmm. And like this sort of like literal style, it's so like, it's like playful. You know, it's like, I think it's the kind of thing where, I, I almost see it as like a little deceptively it's deeper than it lets on, you know? So I just like, I'm curious, like when you write a song like that, when you're like thinking that literally, like tell me a little more about writing in that way. Well, it's, it's deeper for sure because it's, I'm speaking for a group of people who, who feel that way, you know, and it's, it sounds silly. It sounds stupid. I, I like, I like, like I know the idea again, like speaking to an adult or somebody else my age, it sounds dumb, you know, but it's like, this, what means a lot to me. It means a lot to, to all of us who partake in the mosh pit lifestyle. Um, but it's like, you know, again, representing that group of people, that song, for example, you know, um, speaking about, you know, creative freedom, like wanting to be myself and, and speaking uh, about, you know, more than just the physical expression of, of what we're doing, you know? And I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know? It's like, it's so much of our culture. When you go to the hardcore show, it's like, that's the, that's the spectacle. More than the band, it's the people going crazy in the crowd, you know? Um, so yeah, it's just one important tool of our community. It's, it is fun to speak on it, but you're right. It's like, it's deeper than just what I'm saying, it's like, you know, it's not just about jumping on somebody's head. It's like what, what that means to me culturally, what it means to you culturally. We're different. We're outsiders. Um, and, you know, there's a way to sing about that, too, more directly, but just a different angle. I think there's that's a common common theme on the record. It's like Brand New Soul is like very similar. It's kind of speaking um, more about the creative freedom of music and what it means to me culturally and what I hope it means to a lot of 
fans of hardcore punk rock music. Yeah, I definitely feel like you get that both from the words and just the music itself. Like, and I think that's been a constant with Angel Dust. Like, I, I think I was reading the Stereogum interview you did for this new record, and you were talking about like people always seem to come around to some to like whatever decision you make, like, but it often takes a while. And I was like, yeah, like that rings true. I think like I remember, and maybe it was just the specific show, but I remember seeing you like when Pretty Buff came out. I felt like the crowd was almost like a little unsure of what to do. But then I saw you at the the Brooklyn Monarch show earlier this year and you play songs from that record and people go off. Yeah. I think, you know, like the vision's always been to keep it moving, keep keep a dynamic going. And with that record, we were like, how far can we push it in the context of acoustic instruments and using um, things that sonically don't take place as much in hardcore music while still ma- maintaining the energy. And I do think that was confusing to a lot of people. You know, I like challenging people and maybe it was like too much of a challenge for some people. I hope that people appreciate it. Maybe some people just didn't like it and that's fine. Um, but I do think it was just, it was really confusing for people. And, uh, but also I think there's a lot of people who, who get it and, Especially now, I think with the context of, of Yak, the record we did after that, and then um, Brand New Soul, which is the record we're releasing now, I think people are really starting to understand like, oh, okay, it's the same shit. Like all those, a lot of that stuff, it's like the song On My Way, for example, it's on Pretty, it's on pretty Buff. That could have easily been a song on AD or on Rock the Fuck On. The only difference is we use the acoustic guitars instead of, Fenders that had uh, Fender electric guitars that were plugged into like a Marshall or whatever it was and using big distortion and stuff. Um, there's a lot of bands I think they've done that really cool. And it was just kind of a nod to that. And it was meant to be an era of the band. And um, there's some cool tricks we learned in that process that we utilized on doing this record. There's, there's acoustic guitars on this record, but I think we did a better job of, of, uh, communicating the energy with acoustic guitars in this record. I think like, and I'm curious to hear your take, but like to me, brand new soul kind of sounds almost like a culmination of like everything angel dust has done. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, um, I think every record is the same writing style and same similar themes, but there's, I think when every record has kind of been a different, different theme to push, um, which you know, again, I hope it's something we can adopt and use in whatever we do in the future. But uh, with Brand New Soul, I think the angle was like, what is Angel Dust musically? And and the new theme on this record is me as a producer. Me, like, I didn't play very much guitar on the record. Just kind of like worked with the band and tried to drive it in a certain direction that felt real to Angel Dust. And then just having fun with like studio magic, trying different beeps and boops and ear candy. And uh, a lot of stuff that I learned specifically working with Rob Schnapp um, at Mant Studio. And like, how can I utilize some of that ear candy in the context of a fast song that has like a mosh part happening? Um, like a more obvious mosh part, I guess. So definitely like there's, there's, things from all eras and i think that's always been a thing with angel dust it's like uh 
when the acoustic guitar got introduced, I think that was a big thing for a lot of people. But really, since the first stuff that Angel Dust recorded, acoustic guitar was a theme. Like on Extra Raw, which is the first EP we did, we recorded acoustic guitars. And then the person mixing it kind of was like, oh, yeah, it doesn't work. I'm taking it out. And I don't know if it was more we just didn't know what we were doing. We didn't record the guitars right. Or if they just didn't weren't vibing with it. But we weren't ready yet then, you know? And it's, uh, you know, it's like something that I've like, I love the acoustic guitar and I figured out what how it works best in context of what Angel Dust does. Um, but yeah, I say the biggest theme musically is, I guess, just total control as the producer. Um, not that I think anybody's ever been actively trying to stop my vision, but just to have like total control of my vision to be like, okay, I wanted it to sound like this. How do I make it sound like that? This didn't work. I'm going to try something else. Um, a lot of spirit of invention and just trying new things. So this is the first record you did with your current live band, right? Yeah. So what was it? I know, like you said, like you're in the producer's chair, but what was it like working with this new band in the studio? What did they bring that made this record different than previous Angeles records? What's cool is I've been playing with these guys for almost two years now. I think it's still new to a lot of people who haven't seen us in a little bit. Um, but it's also people who've been touring with Angel Dust for years before that. Because, um, you know, even when the lineup was, you know, members that are in turnstile full time now, uh, there was times when this person couldn't do it, this person couldn't do it. So I've been playing with these guys for a long time. And uh, it's also worth mentioning that Pat and Daniel, who were formerly touring with Angel Dust, they came and played a little bit on the record. It was cool. It was like... Uh, cool to kind of like step back and just be like what is everybody strongest at and try to like give them a role to best do their thing so like daniel plays a lot of percussion on the record he just has like cool fun he's awesome to have in the studio daniel fang specifically um our guitar player who's the, the full-time guitar player of angel dust his name's also daniel he's like a shredder and it's cool to step back. i'm so used to like going in with, with just a strict game plan and saying all right here's all the guitar leads the guitar is going to do this here and here and here and I had some of those things in mind, but Daniel just shut that down. He was like, no, I got the ideas. And it was cool. We had a lot of good input, some cool guitar stuff that I would never think of. Um, everybody was really, really inspiring in the studio. It was awesome. Uh, Steve, who's playing guitar for us now, he uh, he's like a freak about sounds and like tone and like just would, you know, always challenge the ideas that I had for guitar sounds. And I think it was always for the best. Tommy's relentless. He's the drummer. He uh, just like, it's crazy. I feel like you can just, you can drill him all day long and he doesn't get beat down by it. I see a lot of times drummers in the studio, if you keep changing things, they get physically exhausted, they get scared, they get mentally exhausted. Tommy would just record. He's great in the studio. So he would just nail it in a take. And then you could say, oh, let's try it completely different now. And you, you're like waiting for him to get upset. And he'd be like, okay, just do it. <laughs> you know, it was really fun. Uh, really like being the producer. What were some like specific musical influences on this one? Stuff you were listening to that maybe pushed you in the stylistic direction of the record? I think um, I'm like just a fan, just like rock and roll history and pop music, and especially where pop and rock meet, you know, just I think much more of a thing in the 80s and the 90s. 
which seems to be coming, becoming more of a thing in modern time. But like, I'm in love with Prince and David Bowie and Iggy Pop. So, I mean, those are themes that are pretty reoccurring. I would say, honestly, the uh, Prince thing is probably like the most reoccurring theme on the record, but it's subtle. It's like, I've always liked, you listen to all those bands, you can see these intersections of hardcore music. It's like, if you listen to like early Prince records, there's like songs where it's like playing literally like a slow D beat, you know, it's like, granted it's slower. It's like, you know, so it's like more of a dance thing. Um, it's like when you listen to like early Black Sabbath, there's just like, that's, I mean, I get it. It's, it you can call it rock and roll music or doom or metal or whatever you want, but it's like so much of the building blocks of hardcore and punk rock, like Paranoid is like a hardcore song, really, you know? Um, I always loved that intersection. So th that was like kind of a theme is being like, okay, this is a song that could be a pop rock song. It could be a hardcore song. And then, it's, you know, it's kind of written in that way. And then we get together and we reevaluate it and let the people play on it, how they do. And everybody in my band comes from hardcore punk rock music, but also loves pop rock. So it's cool. I don't know. Just trying to, maybe not trying, maybe just doing what feels good. You know, that's a bigger piece of the equation. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because, like, I don't think your average listener would put the record on and be like, oh, I totally hear Prince. Yeah. You know, but to have it come through the way it does with the lens you're talking about. Yeah. Prince has been a theme, honestly, man, in everything I've ever worked on in my life. Like, there's certain songs I, I, I can listen to and immediately you know I'm like, oh, that was a Prince thing, like an early Trapped Under Ray stuff. Even now, are you going to hear that and hear Prince? Definitely not. But people have always kind of spoke about Trapped Under Ice in context of pop influences with hardcore. Like, oh, there's this pop value. And it's like little hooks, ear candy, earworms, reoccurring themes. Um, but I think what this record is, and again, being in the producer's chair, I got to emphasize that a lot more than I ever have. And I think it feels organic and natural. And by no means do I think, you know, it's representative of Prince. I wouldn't tell somebody it sounds like Prince, you know, but um, I just think he really embodied so much of the punk spirit and just smushed all these genres and themes together that don't exist in punk music in a way that felt organic and natural. And what the, it's like the link, that thing I call, I call it punk because that's how I was raised, but that thing that makes the blues real, that makes rock and roll real, hip hop real, you know, punk rock music, hardcore music, what makes it authentic, human. That's what I always refer to as punk, but it's like that spirit, it's brand new soul. That's what, you know, it's like us fully, that's what this record is, that's the statement. It's fully committing to that human, real nature of rock and roll music. Yeah, and I feel like that that is kind of like, you know, what I was hoping to get at when we opened this conversation, like just the, that to me is what comes through. I think like you might not be doing what the fan of your last record wants you to do, you know, but you're always, it always seems to me like you're doing what's authentic to you in that moment. Yeah, it's cool. I feel like as a fan of music, that's like what I always love about hearing anything. It's like, I'm just a fan of, everything David Bowie did, there's records that I don't give a shit about, you know? Um, 
it's like up even to black star the last thing he did before he died it's so authentic to a, a, a pop star who's dying and knows he's dying it's like that's it's, it's not a hit record it's not meant to be a hit record it's like just look at iggy pop man it's like there's he's done so many records and i think some people tune some of them out because they're not it's not their thing and it's like who cares if it's my thing he didn't write the record for me personally you know it's like he there's a lesson in there and with Iggy Pop, I think more than anybody, like like it or not, it's so authentic to what he wants to be doing right then and there. And I can listen to anything he he does and hear like a new angle of of expression. And that's that's really inspiring. Yeah, and it's like so interesting because like yeah, like I mean Iggy Pop is on one hand like argue like one of the architects of so much that we call punk. And then on the other hand, he might just make a jazz record one day and that's cool too. And he can do that if he wants to. Yeah. What's your favorite Bowie record? Oh dude, I just, I literally just, it's so funny. I literally just decided this like a week ago. I like went through and, but uh, also I'm like, I have like ADHD and my brain forgets stuff. So I'm literally looking it up on Spotify right now to tell you what it's called. It's one of the the more obvious ones for sure. Um, let's dance. Yeah, it's let's dance. That's interesting. Um, why that one? It's just hooky. It's like huge hits, dance music, and it's like the thing in that it makes me want to get up and move is not that different than the thing that makes me want to get up and move when I listen to hate breed satisfaction is the death of desire. It's like, it's rhythm. It's like, uh, it's like taking soul and applying it to different, uh, fields of rock and roll music it makes you want to get up. I mean, I do feel like hardcore or even just rock music in general, like it's ultimately dance music. Yeah. It's crazy, man. I like, I just don't, it blows my mind that people get so hung up on the genre and how, again, how they identify with music. Like I don't, there's people who are really defensive about that. Like there's people, this is a conversation. I was like sublime, the band sublime. It's like, I'll bring it up because I know it's polarizing. It's like one of those things that people really hate and people really love. And it's like, dude, I don't give a fuck what genre it is. It's like, it has that thing. It has that human element to it. I love sublime. And it does that for a lot of people. And I always love to bring that up because you can gauge somebody and it's, it doesn't say anything about sublime. It says something about you, the listener, when somebody's like immediately offended by sublime, it's like, oh, you're a person who really cares about what people think. And that's why it's so important that you have this extreme stance about sublime because otherwise you're, if you really just loved music and you had zero fear, which is where I'm at at this point in my life, I do not care what, how the average person perceives me. Do you know what I'm saying? I do care about how I present myself and who I am as a person, but there's people who are, they haven't created an identity. They don't, they don't know who they are as an artist and them liking sublime or not somehow defines them to you because their character is that weak. And when you bring that up and somebody's like, Oh, I hate sublime. That's who I am. It's like, get, get a life, dude, go make, some music go express yourself go define yourself you know it's like if, if you don't like the music of sublime that shouldn't be offensive to you they're they're a good band they do something for people they like make people feel really good you know i don't think they're a band that 
Now I get being offended by um, music that compromised the integrity of music. You know, like there's things in the world that are just that offensive to music, but I think they're really few and far between. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, because I do this too, but I usually use Nickelback as my example, Yeah, um, where I'm just like, if you like hear Nickelback and you're like, I hate Nickelback, like I'm like, you don't hate Nickelback. You want me to think you hate Nickelback. Yeah, you got a point to prove. It's like, right. I don't think Nickelback is the coolest band in the world. Like, but it's like, it does, it means something to people. You know, it's like, I never, you know, it's a good example of this for me. It's like, I just never perceived this band. I never like took it in, but Godsmack. I think I was young and I was like really into hardcore at the time. And then this band was kind of uh, comparable to hardcore because it was like white rock guys making heavy music. So, you know, it was like people in middle school would be like, you like Godsmack? And I'm like, no, I like hardcore music. That's it. That's who I am as a person. This is my identity. Let me project my identity onto you. And, uh, but it's never a thing that I've been like offended by or never, never something I've really given a good chance. And we just played a fest with them with Godsmack. And our bass player, Zechariah, he's like, loves Godsmack. And he like challenged me to be like, he was like, dude, you don't love Godsmack? And I'm like, no, I just never really perceived him. And he, and you know, there's somebody in the band was like, oh, I don't like Godsmack. He was like so offended. He's like, what do you mean? You don't like Godsmack. So we went and watched Godsmack. And I was like, just, they were awesome. Godsmack was awesome. I like didn't, know that it's something that you know it's like am i am i gonna like bump the track i will say for like a week in the van afterwards we were bumping godsmack but like um it doesn't have to be my identity it doesn't have to be the thing that i hold close to my heart to see the value in it and appreciate it you know it's got it's got something for people and people really loved it and had a good time and i mean most people live their whole lives and never get the opportunity to connect with people or like help people through their art, you know? Totally. And it's like, if you're, if you're making that connection with so many people, like you're doing something right. Like, yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, and I know what you mean. I mean, I feel like, you know, you're young. Like I, there has been so many bands for me that when I'm like in high school, I'm like, Oh, I don't like that band. And in hindsight, I'm like, the only reason I said that is because it didn't jive with my identity at the time. Yeah. And like, yeah, I'll go to these festivals. I'll see like I, when I grew up, I was like, I don't like new metal. You know, that was like a th I was like a thing I said. And then like as an adult, I saw Slipknot and I was like, unbelievable, you know, <laughs> like and it's like and I realized like I probably would have liked it then, too, if I would have really listened. But I was like, no, I don't like that. They have wear masks and they look weird. And I like punk and punk's more authentic. And, you know, but it's you grow out of that and it's kind of. I think it's nice to grow out of that and not be stuck in it forever. It's funny. I think Trapped Under Ice was that for punks. A lot of like punk fans. And you got to know, it's like I grew up in, involved with punk music and like so so important in who I, who I am as a person. And I knew when we were doing Trapped Under Ice, it was provocative. It like, it like stood out in context of punk music. Um, and I feel like now I'm experiencing a lot of people who were like, oh yeah, like when, when it was happening, I didn't identify with it. And, you know, we were doing things to stand out, like style-wise. It's like I was wearing baggy jean shorts or like um, like camo pants, Timberland boots and stuff like that, just like trying to stand out, you know? And like, what does standing out mean? Like, does it mean anything? It means I'm wearing something that you're not to define myself. And people are threatened by that, and especially in the punk community, 
well, I wear this and he wears this. I can't like that. What's it mean? Like, uh, he must have bad values. He must be a bad person. He must nod. I'm doing the same shit you've been doing. In fact, I've helped cultivate what you're doing. But I'm just wearing something different because I don't want to look like everybody else and call it punk like you do, you know? And it's funny because a lot of those people who wouldn't, who weren't down, you know, back when Trapped on Earth was an active band, now they tell me, you know, it's like, you know, I'd never give it a shot. I didn't identify with it. Now I love Trapped Under Ice. Now it makes sense. And I see that on the internet sometimes, people saying stuff like that, which I think is really cool. Um, and I think it's kind of a similar thing with Angel Dust in context of hardcore, where it's like hardcore fans, there's a lot of people who didn't identify with it right away immediately because it's melodic. And they've grown to believe that hardcore is what Trapped Under Ice is. I helped set the tone for what defines hardcore. And it took a, it took a long time and a lot of work. And... You know, it wasn't until, I don't even think till the last couple of years that we really, truly reaped the benefits of it. Like we were really poor. We didn't make money. We were like, you know, I like didn't have a home for most of the time that Trapped Under Ice was a band. You know, I, I wore the same, yo, you can look at photos of Trapped Under Ice playing and I'm wearing one of four pairs of shoes. We were a touring band for over 10 years. I'm wearing one of four pairs of shoes in the entirety of Trapped Under Ice being a band. That's kind of crazy. Like I like all my friends at home be like, look at my new shoes. I'd be like, that's crazy. I wore these shoes on stage to sleep. Like when I go to work, whatever. I wore these shoes for the last three years. And then I'll get another pair of shoes that I'm wearing for three years and they're gonna fucking smell like shit because I'm gonna rock and roll on stage. And you know what I mean? Like, didn't have anything. And it's like only now I think people are starting to like in, in the last couple of years, people um are acknowledging the the level of influence and it's, it's really cool it's humbling um so again that started in the last couple of years i feel like only in the last couple of months do i feel like people are starting to identify angel dust and the and the and the, the influence and context of hardcore music and where hardcore music is now you know um and it's you know it's nice to be, be appreciated but also like again i like I want to be ahead of the curve. I want to be challenging people. Um, if that leads to, if I can like make a living making music and challenging what is cool, but you know, that's not how it always works. So I'd, ra I'd rather that than I've, I've always felt like I'm like, I know how to make the record that sells. Like I know that, like I know I have a, and you can say it's in theory, you know, but uh, maybe I'm wrong. But it's like, I always have this theoretical idea of a record that will crack. And I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. Maybe it's stupid of me. I don't know. But it's like when we did Big Kiss Goodnight with Trapped Under Ice, we had no idea that it would have the cultural effect that it did. And when it came out, nobody gave a shit. That's, that's a crazy thing that I think people talk about it. Like it was such an important record. I think in the last couple of months of us touring on it, it people saw it. And then we cut out right at the right time. We stopped playing live for a couple of years and it people doubted us. We put out singles and people hated them. And then we toured on the record and people loved it and they started to love it more and they loved it more. And then we were like, Hey, we're not doing this anymore. And uh, I think it grew in that space, in that absence, the, uh, the desire to have it. Um, and it's, you know, it's like, again, I feel like with brand new soul right now, the, the reception has been pretty cool. I think people, people are starting to get what it is. I guess there's, there's people who've always gotten it, 
you know? But uh, yeah, it's not the record to, to sell units. We didn't make that, that's for sure. Well, I could just be like too personally biased, but it feels like Brand New Soul is like the people who needed to catch up to like Pretty Buff and Yak. This feels like, okay, if you've put that work in, if you've stuck with us and maybe you weren't ready for that and you've, and now you get it, like this record's for you kind of, that's how it feels to me a little bit. Like, it's like, yeah. it's like, okay, like we're going to do jangle pop stuff. We're going to have acoustic guitars, but we're going to have like mosh parts too. And so it's like, it's that full circle thing. And it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, the, again, the Monarch show you played this year, I think you like did love is the greatest into toxic Boombox." two songs that feel like they couldn't be more different, but it was like seeing it live. I was like, Oh, and it's like brand new soul gives you the same feeling that those two songs back to back live give you, I think. Yeah, that's cool. You know what that, those two songs back to back. Um, I don't think it was conscious at any point, but it, it's somehow I realized the idea behind that comes from ceremony. Like ceremony would do that where they hit you with the fucking weird synth track. Somebody holding a button on the synth and he's just talking his little shit and it's all weird and spacey. And you're like, damn, this is going to be really, this going to be a really chill live set. And then they just break out into the craziest song. And to be able to create that moment, it's like, I think that's such an interesting thing. Again, it's like, we, there's a formula we know for live. We, and Ceremony knew this before. We can, we can build the band, we can ramp the, the crowd up and start with the big song and do the thing and get the energy going. Or we can confuse people and create a moment that people are truly going to remember, you know? And that always stuck out to me. So, I've always wanted to do that with, with Angel Dust, like have these peaks and valleys, a lot of dynamic in the music, bring you down and bring you up so that people remember that moment when, when Toxic Boombox kicked in and fools all jumped off the stage and started acting weird. It's cool. It's cool to be inspired by, um, by your peers. Obviously, like I love a lot of old rock and roll music and um, just... I love the history of music, but there's friends and people who I see as peers and people I, I don't know at all who are just making great music currently. And I think that's important too, is to have your ear to the ground currently. Yeah. Uh, um, I, and I know exactly, like I totally see ceremony exactly the same way. Like they're another band too. I think where like people get confused when they put out a new record, like, Oh, like, you know, here's this like, power violence band and then on the next record they're like more of a punk band and then now that people are used to that they're more of like a garage rock band and now that people are used to that they're more of like a goth band like um, and you know i've seen some real negative reviews of ceremony records like people getting upset but then yeah you go see it live and it it's all coming from the same place and i think you if you don't go see ceremony live you miss that aspect of it dude I think every time I've seen one of those, those like negative reviews or some, or just like an individual talking poorly about a new ceremony thing, it's just like, they, they always come to be disproven. They always, it always comes to light that it's like, th- those are the most important records for our community. And they create these really culturally important moments. And I just said something, I just posted something about it online the other day. So it was like an interview with, with Anthony, the guitar player. And it's like, dude, I truly would not be who I am if it wasn't for that band. And it's like music wouldn't be what music is now. There wouldn't be space for a turnstile, you know? 
there's a couple of bands who I think were really provocative in the time and hardcore was super, um, I don't want to say sterile because hardcore is just cool, like in all shapes and forms. But there was just so many rules at the time and no band broke the rules down for me like ceremony. And I've, you know, I've always had that desire just to do whatever I want. And I think they are probably the band that's influenced me the most in the, in the, the field of just doing whatever the fuck I want, you know? Who are some other bands that you think like broke those rules? Um, like modern bands? Yeah. Cold World. It's like a band when somebody told me like when they were a new band, oh, it's this new hardcore band and they have like a DJ. There's like record scratching on the, so at that time, the closest frame of reference was Limp Bizkit. They were like, oh, that's a thing that happened. These guys are late. They're late to that. And then you see it live and you're like, oh shit, hardcore can be anything, you know? Um, I don't know, man. I think that's just hardcore in general. Honestly, the hardcore scene has constantly been blowing my mind. And it's like when you've been around long enough, you realize that's what's really exciting. I think people hear something new and it's got a hard mosh part and they're like, oh, it's the mosh part. That's the important thing. You see a crazy mosh part. That's the important thing. But they don't realize the reason why people are being excited is because they're being challenged a lot of times. And it's like, that's why the hardcore scene is constantly moving and evolving. And it's like, there's no definitive sound of hardcore. That's, that's what hardcore is. It's changing. That's the point of it. It's progressive. It's, it's meant, that's punk. It's progressive. It's meant to be progressive. If, if at any point we're just trying to please the people and what they like, you know, last year, 2022, people really liked, um, a, a very progressive band. I'm not using them as an example of a not progressive band, but everybody really liked Gulch, hugely progressive band. It's like that was the last couple of years have been defined by that band just fucking doing crazy shit and still in, making you want to move. It's like if in 2023 where I tried to do a Gulch record because that's what was cracking, 2024 I'm trying to do a Gulch record because that's that's not hardcore anymore. That's like we're not we're, we're so far removed from hardcore at that point, you know. Um, but yet there's people who still do have that mind frame. They're like, oh, something changed. It's not hardcore anymore. Um, High Viz, I think, is another band in current time that really challenges that idea where it's like, I don't I don't know how to classify that band other than hardcore music. There is, they have that urgency. Like I was talking with the Bad Brains. It's like almost like these, these dudes uh, were, you know, inspired by sonic elements of Britpop and Joy Division and... Um, some other cool rock and roll things, but the urgency of how they play and they're all fucking weirdos. You see them on stage. It's like, couldn't be more clearly a hardcore band. How am I going to react? I got to, I got to slam. I love slam. I got to jump off the stage. I might not do a spin kick, but again, it's like slam comes in all different shapes and sizes and they're authentic. And I don't think there's any question. I don't think anybody's questioning the, the hardcoreness of it or not, you know? And if they are, who cares? It's like, again, it's just a word. So why do you think that um, the sort of heavy, metallic, kind of 90s style hardcore tends to be the thing that, I guess, say, purists tend to um, cite? You know, like, I mean, it's interesting to me because it's like, Minor Threat and Black Flag don't sound like that. 
but it seems like that kind of like heavy metallic beat downy stuff that seems to be the thing i mean when people see something get too melodic they go to that i think a big part is just cool like it really is cool it's 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 awesome i think a lot about like what defines that and what makes it so interesting and i don't say this in a condescending way this i'm telling you this is my life this is who i like it's the music that shaped me one thing is uh Rhythmically, it's pretty simple. Um, you take out a lot of polyrhythms. Like in like a dance song, you might have a cool drum beat. Boom, 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 boom. And then you'll have like a shaker doing a polyrhythm. And then the guitar player's playing a polyrhythm. And dance music, you have all these rhythms that are overlapping. And just, you know, with hardcore, it gets um, like that, that specific, that 90s metallic, heavy, extreme hardcore it gets dumbed down in a way that I, I love it. And I think a lot of people relate to it where you take out all the polyrhythms and now the guitar, drum and bass are all doing the same rhythm. That's a breakdown. Dun, 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 dun. Those moments, like the simplicity of it, we all have that in us, you know? And you can like do a million things to build up to that moment, but that defines that sound. It's fucking cool. And culturally there was, there was nothing like that in history. It was just that advanced in sonic tone and territory and production while being as Neanderthal and ignorant and almost dumb, you know, we all have that in us, but do you think, yeah, I do think there's like a natural thing to it. There's bands that have just done it really well. It's a lot of reasons. Um, and again, it's like, it's outsider music, you know, it's like, that's the most outsider thing you can do. It's just a heavy ass breakdown, you know? It's like, you can't, your mom will never overhear that and and see the rock and roll music she loved growing up in that. I hope it's always a thing, you know? And then, you know, it's like that, that alone, that vibe alone has branched off into so many genres of music. It's like metalcore. It's like such a broad, vast, genre of music it means what's what is metal courts and it's everything there's so it's like so it's such a broad thing but i think again the universal thing is that the breakdown the mosh part you know so while i do love that for me a part of my my journey has been experimenting with the mosh part like what can get people up and, and move in and can speak to somebody's somebody's heart and soul without just doing that you know um, so you mentioned like you love being inspired by your own peers. Tell me about the Coneheads cover on the record. Oh man, I think it would. I couldn't call them peers. I've never seen the Coneheads live. At the time they were a band, I was it was like trapped under ice, just fooling, touring full time, and I was obsessed with that band. But you know, it was like the most I could get was like ordering something on the internet or like watching YouTube videos or like asking friends, you know. Uh, but it's a band that I think embodies that hardcore and punk nature that with and just made something completely different with it. It's like not comparable to anything else before it. Like I think people compare it to Devo a lot, but it's like, is it? I don't, you know, it's like I can hear that they probably love Devo, yes, but um, it's just so much of its own thing and it's extreme. And, uh, you know, we like played a couple songs that we wanted to cover. And we actually recorded another cover that will probably come out later. But 
I don't know that one. That song is just so uh, authentic to the spirit of hardcore punk rock music that we played together and was like, oh yeah, this is this is easy. It's like this. It's like no different than playing like a Cro Mags cover or something like that. It feels so real and natural. It's funny. I showed it to a couple of friends, and uh, I sent to a friend who I thought would recognize that it was a Coneheads cover. And he said, "He's man, that's the best song you've wrote in your entire life. That's my favorite song you ever wrote." I was like, cool, that's the one song ever recorded in my life that I didn't write. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's cool. It, it fits on the record and it feels cool. And that's a band that like has influenced me. Like, dude, just like in context of uh, whether, you know, was, when I was doing Trapped Under Ice, it truly was a thing that influenced me. Again, not something anybody's ever going, oh, I hear the Coneheads in, in the Trapped Under Ice record. But just like being like, what is hardcore? I don't know. It could be anything. I don't, you know? And, uh, same thing goes with Angel Dust. So I'm glad we got to get it in there. And it is, again, like I said, it's it, they're not our peers. It's not a group that we played to or we, we were involved with. So I, I kind of expected them to be reluctant because I get the sense of um, that, just like that group being as weird as I am in a different way, you know? And I'm protective and I'm weird and I have weird <coughs> feelings about art. So I like, reached out to them like, hey, I'm going to, record this song and they just seem cool about it. Talked to Mark, who's the singer. And he, I showed him the recording. He said it sounded like Andrew WK. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, you know, I do think what a lot of people will pick up on with Brand New Soul is people will probably talk about it being the most aggressive Angel Dust record since Rock the Fuck on Forever. Um, and I remember like, when Trapped Under Ice played Brooklyn this year, you you talked on stage about like, you were like, you know, I was a little bit gone for aggressive music for a while, but like, I'm so excited to do it again. Um, talking about keeping your ear to the ground, what are some new, younger, like aggressive bands that you really love? Oh man, Jeff, it's crazy. Cause I, you know, there was a moment when I was burnt out on it where and it, it, it wasn't, it's not like I was like, just like naive or like I like or whatever. I don't fucking know. It wasn't like my ego or like I was jaded. I love this shit. I like, I, I study it, you know? And, and again, there's always bands that pop up, but I think right now is the coolest wave of heavy music. And there's like, I think there, there's a lot of successful heavy music, hardcore bands right now that I don't need to name. We know who they are. You know, it's like, we know Turnstile is the biggest band in the world. We know Scowl is cool. Like I love and respect those bands. Uh, as far as like, but there's like a wave like, younger, newer bands. And I think it's weird. I've always had bands in California that I like, but right now the wave of hard music I like is California, like definitively. So I really like Big Boy. Twist of Cane is a big one. Uh, Terrena, uh, Firestarter. There's like just lots of cool, very authentic sounding hard music. And I think there's like an interesting lineage of hardcore to come from California, when we look at some of the Rev releases that bands didn't capture right for a long time, you know? Um, and I don't know, I think it's like just kids in that area just like really just like broke down some, some heavy music boundaries and did some progressive things while taking influence from West Coast hardcore music. And it's like authentic to... You know, like, like I'll be real. It's like, I think a lot of hardcore music stems from the East Coast. A lot of hardcore punk stems from the East Coast. 
And then, you know, like all over the world, it just grows from the East Coast of the United States and people do their own thing with it. As to where it's like right now, I'm like, damn, this is an like, authentic, heavy group of bands. They're just doing something that's California and unique to themselves. And um, it's also worth mentioning Section Hate is like clearly a really influential band. I think I think I would say that they probably have a lot to do with why a lot of young bands from that area have been like, we're just going to make psychotic hardcore music. and we don't care if it's marketable or something. We're just doing our thing and it's real and exciting. So this is a question I ask in, I've asked in other interviews too, but um, you know, like you said, I mean, obviously we're in a period where hardcore is bigger than ever. And like um, maybe someone's finding their way in through turnstile. Maybe someone's finding their way in because they saw Scal on the Coachella live stream. Um, and then also, you know, like you said before, hardcore is outsider music. People get protective. So like there's all this, you know, chatter online about like the sort of gatekeepiness of it. So my question is like, if someone's new to hardcore, if someone's here because they heard Turnstile, they heard Scowl, what do you think they should know? It's weird, man. I like, there's, I have this part of me that says they don't need to know anything. Just know that you love it. Just like know that this isn't, uh, you know, it's like, not all about marketing and branding what we're doing there's obviously marketing and branding and involved with this but it's like this is just authentic it's about people and there is history to it and i do think that people should learn history but you don't have to who fucking cares i don't care if you know about all my favorite hardcore releases from new york that happened in 1993 like you don't need to know that you know it's important to me and i would hope that you find out about it and you dig deeper and you invest in the, the history, very rich cultural history that we have with this type of music. It's really cool to be a part of it. It's like, it's a, it's a privilege to be a part of, of, of this scene. Um, so I, I do feel really strong about welcoming people and letting people exist in this space the way they do. But at the same time, I do have the Maybe it's old school. Maybe it's just, maybe it's definitive hardcore and what makes it special. But like what, what some people would call gatekeeping nature of hardcore. Now it's like gatekeeping is a term that people throw it on very loosely. It's like, for example, if, if you pull up to the hardcore gig and you have strange politics, you talk in some white power shit or something like that. Well, guess what? I'm from Baltimore. It's the home of stout, it's the home of gut instinct. It's like culturally who I am is like what we get off on is terrorizing those kind of people, you know? And it's funny because I've literally seen people in that argument be like, oh, gatekeeping hard. It's like, yo, who needs to defend people who believe in racism? Like, like who needs to defend that? We don't. Um, and obviously there's like other ideas that pop up, but I do think it's important that you give people the chance to learn and be a part of our community. Uh, it's strange. It's like, I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's easy. I think people like to really draw, portray this image of hardcore as a, again, like a gatekeepy place where everybody's not welcome or like as this safe space where everybody's welcome. And it's neither of those things. It's like, it's like good people, people who want to contribute, people who care about other people you're welcome, please. And I don't care what you know. I don't care about um, if you're cool. 
In fact, I'd prefer if you're not cool. You know, it's like most of us have like mental disabilities and shit. You know, it's like don't don't care about all that stuff. But it's, again, it's like, do you want to be a part of the community? Do you want to contribute? Do you want to invest in this and, and help it grow? Like, I, I love seeing that. And there is so much of that right now. And I think hardcore and punk are the coolest place it's been in my entire life of being involved, which is not exactly young. And I've been doing this since I was a child. So I don't know. You'll hear people criticize it. And I think that they are the kind of people who just would criticize anything. They're just ugly people who um, don't have a lot going on. There's always room for improvement. There's always room for new voices to tell us how it can be better. I've loved seeing in the last, specifically in the last five to 10 years, new voices making it more of an inclusive space. You know, I always speak about um, when I lived in Baltimore when I was younger, we were doing Trapped Under Ice stuff. I was investing all I could. I did everything that I thought was right. And me and uh, me and another white friend that I worked with, we booked a lot of shows in Baltimore, which is not a predominantly white city, you know. And we we're booking shows and working real hard, being like, "We trying to make this inclusive. Like, what's the, what do we do?" And sometimes it seemed like it's working, but it's not what it should be. We're doing all this. And then I left. I moved first to Richmond, Atlanta, Georgia, New York, Los Angeles. I live everywhere. And I just, I saw the scene kind of growing in Baltimore into something new. And then right around the time I moved back to Baltimore, I saw Zulu played at a venue, uh, which is a Mexican restaurant in Baltimore called Holy Frijoles. And the crowd was, I mean, this isn't every show, but, you know, Zulu demands a certain audience. It's pretty cool. But I was like one of like 10 white people in the room. And I saw the people who had become the pioneers of, of Baltimore, the people who've cultivated, made it who it is right now, or what it is right now. And it was most particularly uh, Paris from Truth Cult and Akil from End It, um, Che, who runs Flat Spot, just brown people, you know? And uh, really grateful for the, the advocates who've stepped up and um, decided they were going to make this place for everybody, you know, and there's still more room for growth in that department. And again, nothing's perfect, but it's really exciting to see it, it growing and changing and being what, I don't know. When I was a kid, I always referred to like the, uh, bad brains. I think it's 1982 CBGB set. Is that 82 sound right? I think it's 82. Uh, yeah. It's the one, it's the coolest live set you've ever seen in your life, but it was like everybody you could imagine. Um, everybody was present, you know, and like everybody looked cool and no, there was no rules to how people moved. And my whole life had been like, how can we recreate that moment? And, uh, you know, it wasn't for me to like do that. It was for people to come together. It's about creating a space where we allow that to happen. I mean, it's a phrase that gets tossed around a lot, but I really do think like representation really does matter. Like, I, you know, I think when you see yourself on stage, you think, oh, like, I want to be in that room. Um, yeah. And I think if five bands play in a row and all five of those bands have five white guys in the band and that's it, mm-hmm. you know, then like you're you're limiting the space, even if you don't mean to be, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of End It, uh, something I wanted to also ask about is you've been doing a fair amount of uh, cool guest vocal spots lately. I mean, you're on 
the Fiddlehead record that came out three days ago, uh, ended from last year, the new never ending game, the Touche Amore record, which is now a few years old. Um, what gets you excited to sing on another band's record? Um, that, that authenticity, you know, it's like, like I said, coming back to Baltimore and seeing Akil and what he's done in our city, what he means to our city. And then like watching end it grow as like a very authentic band and just serving, performing in service to our community. You know what I mean? It's like, dude, I'm going to be a part of that. It's not about like, is it going to be good for my career or am I going to get paid or something? It's like, dude, I just want to be a part of this. And like my voice is on that recording and like, how fucking cool is that? I get to be, get to be a part of it. You know? Um, I guess it's kind of like why we get in into music and why we get into a lot of things when we're young. It's like, just want to want a place, you know? And I appreciate those bands and Touche Amore and Fiddlehead for seeing the world the way I do. And then allowing me to have a place and cement my place in our culture. Um, that fiddlehead record's great. I'm really, and it's like, same thing. It's like, how cool is that to be like, I know that's one of the coolest hardcore adjacent records, you know, <laughs> uh, of, of a long, people are going to remember that shit for, remember that record forever. And that song is so authentic to who I am. And, uh, you know, a sentiment that I've shared with Pat Flynn a little bit. So yeah, it's just, it's cool. I just want to be a part of real, real stuff, you know? Yeah. And yeah, that, that record's amazing. I mean, it's just, I feel like there's, it's such a good time right now. Like it just feels like so many like-minded bands are firing on all cylinders right now. Yeah. And it's like, I see so much room for growth and it's like, I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's like growth for specific bands or like for our community or like what, what it is. There's just like so much up to go. It's like so much of the world has been looking at our community for since I was a child. I've, I've seen pop things happen that there's the reference to hardcore and all along I've said, this is like a thing I always talk about. I'm like that. They stole that. They stole this line from hardcore. They stole this thing or this shirt design or whatever it is. And people always say this, this like the, this is like the cop out is, Oh, it's universal consciousness. It's like, shut up. Fuck you. No, it's not. That's not how this works. I don't write a lyric and someone else writes that lyric. It's not how the fuck it works, dude. Um, it's just, I've seen it over and over and over again. And I've had it legitimized directly to me where that person eventually comes to me and says, hey, I took that thing from you. And you're like, that's crazy. You're a millionaire. I was homeless at that time. Why didn't, why didn't I, you know, why didn't you like break me off? Whatever. But the hardcore community has been influential as long as I've been alive, as long as I've been aware of the hardcore community. Punk rock has been influential to, to pop music. And it's cool now that I think that people are past the point of trying to hide that and just embracing it. And I think there's like, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. Like I know people are like, again, sensitive and personal and they feel defensive of their community. But it's like, I think our community is progressive and cool. And it's like the world could benefit from hearing our songs. And I look forward to that. You know, it's like, I look forward to like, um, not that I have anything against any pop stars right now, but it's like looking at like Kat from, from Scout and like her replacing some of the pop 
icons that we've had in the last in my lifetime pretty fucking cool to me that would be i think that would equate to a better world you know yeah i mean you know i mean even like it's been fascinating to me just to see like how far turnstile has gone and it's like i i know people personally who are just either don't listen to that music or have been checked out of it for a long time and you know like glow on got them back in or in for the first time yeah and i'm like to me that's cool i'm like i want more people to want to see like loud bands with guitars you know like i don't want loud bands with the guitars to like be a thing on the fringe forever like i think it's cool that like six thousand people want to go see a band like that at this in the same night yeah when i was a kid it was like a thing where i was like the rocker where i lived and it wasn't a lot of rockers and it was like a thing where like my friends, my peers and kids at school would be like, oh, Justice, he's a rocker. And they would like have these like funny assumptions and be like, oh, you like, um, you like corn or you like fucking, well, I, I do like corn, but that's a bad example. <laughs> like, like, do you like, uh, I guess when, when um, Lincoln Park popped up, that was a big thing. Like, oh, you must like Lincoln Park. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't, again, I don't have, a, I've never had anything against Lincoln Park, but it's like, it's not my thing. You know, like I like hardcore music. And, uh, it's cool to me now that I have some conversations with friends who are less involved in our community. Be like, oh, yeah, I like rock and roll music. You like Turnstile? And I'm like, actually, yeah, it's some of the people I look up to most in the world. You know, it's like, that's a lot cooler. And now we have, now we have a, a common thing that we can discuss that makes me feel less alien and makes me feel better about the world, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to ask, so Trapped Under Ice did that kind of like comeback record after the first two Angel Dust albums. Now that you're kind of back playing all these festivals again, do you think uh, you'd ever do another Trap Under Ice record? I would love to. It's like just a matter of, of timing. Like right now it's like uh, Angel Dust is going to be touring a lot on, on Brand New Soul. Turnstile is super busy, so Brendan's going to be, who knows, man, I can't keep up with how much they got going on. It's like uh, I've never experienced any friend with that much demand. In, the, in their life you know so it's like hard to say it's like like you know it's like who knows what he's gonna be up to and then everybody else has like careers and children and wives um so it's like a slow moving process but i do think that the desire is there and it's like you know every so often i get a riff from one of the guys or i send them a riff and we like just uh romanticize the idea of doing a record but you know when the time's right I think it will happen, but I just couldn't, I couldn't put a, a time frame on it, you know? Sure. And certainly it would, it would be, if it happens, it would demand that we have that, that, that spirit that I've been talking about, the soul of rock and roll music and, and, and it have to be authentic to the human experience. And that's the only circumstances outside of that. I'll record a hundred records and throw them away. And it will mean nothing to me. I just don't want to put anything in the world that's not real. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like the music that you've been making more recently, obviously is quite different than the, what Trapped Under Ice usually sounds like. Even what Brendan is doing now is quite different. Um, like, I don't know, like you don't have to definitively answer this, but if, if Trapped Under Ice made a record, like what do you imagine it would sound like? Would you, do you think that it would only be a Trapped Under Ice record if it was a certain level of heavy, or do you think as long as it's those people, whatever comes out, that's what it would be? I think we would, we, the mutual desire would be to make 
the heaviest thing possible. Like there's been themes in Trapped Under Race, like in moments when we recorded, there's always like a, a story. There's like a moment, like how do we tell this moment of the story, you know? And um, I remember when we did Biggest Good Night, I was like, I don't want to make the heaviest record ever possible. I'm not trying to make the heaviest thing. Because I, at that time, there was a couple of bands that stood out to me. I want to say King Nine was probably one of them and Zababa. Um, kind of hard to put myself back in that mind frame right now. But uh, there's bands that were doing music that was so heavy that was like, I'm not trying to make the heaviest record. Like, look at that shit. Like, Zababa's like the fucking evil, scariest shit I've ever heard in my life, you know? I'm not, not going to put out the heaviest record with that. So at the time, we were, how do we do the coolest heavy record? The most, the most catchy like ear candy and that exists in all of us we're also fans of pop music that we couldn't make something without thinking of ear candy and um, moments that suck you in but we've all just been such a fan of of like really heavy stuff and we haven't gotten to make anything like that in a while for every time we jam that's like kind of the theme is like I, we did we did heat wave i, I kind of wrote the majority of that record and that was kind of like the, the theme then was uh you know, Terror had Lowest of the Low and Hatebreed had Satisfaction. And it was like these early records with short, banger, fast songs. So with Heatwave, I was like, that's kind of more my lane. I'm like the one that was pushing for the short, faster songs with Trapped Under Ice. And I was like, let's, let's make this kind of record. And the idea at the time was we're going to immediately follow it up with a record that was a little more of Sam's writing. Sam is the other predominant writer in the band. Um. And it was like, I was like, let's do the short, fast songs and make it. And I think that kind of spoke to young people at the time. I was like, let's, let's give something to young people who want that. Like kids like me who have ADHD and like, just like need something. And then the next song and then something like intense and then songs over before you know it. So again, the idea was like fast songs, a little more leaning towards my style of writing. Again, everybody got involved. Everybody wrote on the record, but it was like leaning towards what I do a little more. And then the idea was to release a real heavy record afterwards. And I think we, you know, we never got to do that. Um, there was like just life things that happened. Um, some babies happened, some ba other bands happened and we never really saw that vision through. So that's kind of what I perceive to be the next trapped under ice, but who knows it's again, in order to be authentic, you need to go where it takes you. So if we get in a studio and, we're our practice space. We're making music and we feel like we want to do some weird shit. We're going to do some weird shit, you know, but I think uh, everybody just sits around listening to dying fetus all day long and wants to make the most ignorant thing imaginable. Awesome. <laughs> um, well, anything else you want to add about brand new soul or anything you want to plug before we go? Um, no, I'm, <laughs> that's it. It's been my whole life is brand new. soul the last couple, the last couple of months, which is really exciting, but I'm also like just, uh, and I got tunnel vision right now. It's like everything to me. So I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. I mean, it's, it's been a blast and I think it's a great record and I'm stoked for it to come out. Thank you, man. Um, and I'm stoked for you guys to play New York again because seeing you earlier this year brooklyn was like one of the most fun shows i've seen all year cool i think it's gonna be a really special show that's the last show of our three and a half months of tour that we have coming up so if we don't sound incredible then we're, something's wrong you know <laughs>
Hey, thanks so much to Justice. Thanks for listening. Go pick up Brand New Soul when it's out September 8th via Popwig Records. Catch Angel Dust on tour. Their tour starts September 6th in the UK. The North American run starts in their hometown of Baltimore on November 3rd. And for those in New York, it ends in Brooklyn with a show at Elsewhere on December 10th. And Angel Dust is a really, really good live band, so I highly recommend catching this tour if it comes near you. And if you like what you hear, Tell your friends about us. Give us a good rating. It's all that small stuff goes a really long way. Thanks so much. See you next time.